0: turn our attention tonight to first Thessalonians chapter 5 Paul's epistle to the Thessalonian church he writes under the direction of the Holy Spirit to address some concerns and questions that these believers had there were some erroneous teachings or rumors about the coming of the Lord and those who had passed away those who were asleep in Christ what would take place, and, and Paul writes to correct and to, or to answer some of those questions, but as we come here to the last chapter of the book, and in line with the, our study on prayer, he gives us here a snapshot into a healthy New Testament church. If you want to look in the, uh, the portrait of what the church should be, and we spent many, many weeks studying the, the church in the book of Acts, that's the nearest to... The pattern that God desires His church to be, and every a church should measure themselves by the the pattern. All there, the outworking of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. We have the framework of how God's people function, how we meet, how we assemble the leadership in the church, the ministries of the church, all the activities of the church, everything that the architect of the church who said, "I will build my church" is laid out for us there in uh, in visual way the actions the acts of the apostles the book is called and so we see how the church acts there in the pastoral epistles we have specific meat on that skeleton while acts is a history book that tells us this is what happened the holy spirit came the apostles laid the foundation this is the, the things that they did the missionaries were chosen the the deacons were chosen the elders were chosen uh, how they met with opposition how they met with satanic oppression Uh, persecution all those things but then when you get into the epistles you see the very framework the guidelines laid down for how these things are to carry out so when we read here in 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 our text is going to be the the tiny verse in verse 17 but all these other verses lead up to that we're going to speak about praying without ceasing and what that means but before we get to that we must always deal with the context and here Paul is addressing the church. He begins with discussing the Lord's coming. Uh, verse 1 of First Thessalonians chapter 5. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. How often does Paul say the coming of the Lord is at hand? The Lord is at hand. Now, literally that means he is near to us. Where we meet, he is there. That's why we ought to, as a member of a local assembly, every time the assembly meets, there's a special blessing and a special presence of the Lord in the assembling of his people. There I am in the midst of you. And he tells the, his, the, the folks there that you're not in darkness, you have been put in light by the light of the gospel, and the, this thief, the coming of the Lord, should not overtake you. While it will be a surprise, we should not be caught off guard. The very teaching of the imminent return of Jesus Christ should cause his children to purify themselves and to walk uh, circumspectly because he could not only call us one by one at home at any moment, we just... I've had a memorial service of one of our dear folks today. But the snatching away of the church could take place at any time. Either way, it should cause us to walk in holily and in fear before him. Verse 5, You are all the children of light, and the children of the day are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. So one of the dangers of the New Testament church is lethargy, laziness, dullness, asleep at the wheel, we should be zealous and watchful and busy. So he warns us, as he does the church at Thessalonica, don't be asleep. I would ask us tonight, church at Glen Iris, are we asleep? Are we sluggish? Are we lethargic? As do others. There are others, he's pointing to other churches, asleep. This is not the time for sleeping. This is the time for sowing and reaping and harvest. But let us watch. That's a careful, that's a sentry on guard of a city at night, a, a a, a fortress where he's watching for the enemy. We should be on guard and we should be serious. The word sober means serious because the day is late, the hour is far spent, the night is at hand, the Lord is at hand. And for they that sleep, sleep in the night and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us He's distinguishing the saved from the lost. Let us who are of the day, everything that describes the children of God is light and day as opposed to darkness. We're of the day. Be sober. He repeats that. Be serious. Think about these doctrines and may they transform your living, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And for in helmet, the hope of salvation, he repeats that instruction that he gives there in the the book of Ephesians. For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ and many use that and this is not the purpose of our study tonight to point that the church will not go through the tribulation period they use that verse to point out that the church will not go through the time of wrath on this earth but uh, to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ and our salvation is deliverance from that time of fierce tribulation but we put that aside, that is not the, the theme of the message tonight, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, and he 's referring there to whether we are alive when the Lord comes or whether our bodies have been deposited in the ground and our souls are with the Lord, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. This is the ministry of the New Testament church, and he 's going to lay out what that ministry should look like, the comforting Edifying, which is teaching and building up of the saints, even as also you do, He said, "You're doing this, but I want you to continue to do that. And verse 12, we beseech you, we beg you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you. He's speaking of the, the pastors and the leadership of the church that the Lord has clearly placed in his congregations, know them, know their hearts. I would ask you tonight, do you know your pastor's heart? Do you know the vision of the church? Do you know the philosophy of of, of the ministry? You should, and you should make it your business as a part of the flock, to know the heart, the heartbeat, the direction. Know them, and not just that, but their heart toward the things of God, toward the the Word of God. They're over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly and love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. I have that latter part underlined in my Bible because... Uh, every pastor desires that the church to be at peace among themselves. You see this, this picture he's drawing, the darkness of those outside of the church and the, the, the children of light walking and acting in the light. And one of those things is the, the unity and peace among uh, those of the church. Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men, See that none render evil for evil unto any man. And this, again, is speaking to all of us as members of the local body of Christ, the local church. But ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore. our text in verse 17. Pray without ceasing in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. One of the things I love about Paul's letter to the Thessalonians He tells them this is the will of God several times. So often we say, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. Well, we know this. How clear could it be? God's will is for us to thank him for everything and in everything. That will take a lot of time. That will stop a lot of murmuring and complaining and I don't have this and they have that and why am I living like this? Why do I my lot in life like this? Thank the Lord that things are as well as they are with you. Oh, just think about what we should be grateful for this evening. This body, this congregation in everything give thanks because why this is God's will a heart of gratitude for this is God's will concerning you quench not the spirit we're going to say what does that mean literally that means to throw a towel over a flame and by not practicing these we quench the spirit's work in our midst by uh, disobeying the Lord throwing a, a wet blanket if you will over the, the, the work of the, the lord that he's trying to stir up in our hearts and lives despise not prophesying don't look down on preaching <laughs> that's exactly what that means prove all things how do you prove all things by the standard of the word of god that you have in your, your lap hold fast that which is good abstain from all appearance of evil And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. Look at the promise, the blessing that comes from living like this, from practicing these things. God will sanctify you. That is His business. There's so many stunted believers because they leave off in one of these areas or many of these areas, they're stunted spiritually. They're not being sanctified by the Spirit as God would have them to be. He wants us not only saved, but the sanctification process to totally transform us into the image of His Son. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved. All of you, not just part of you. Some seem to be content for their souls to be saved, period. And they leave off the care of the body. Both it's physical care and exercise, as well as the, 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 the living for the Lord in this body. This is the, the, the vehicle that He's given us to speak for Him, to go for Him, to preach, to teach for Him. While my soul is saved, my soul can't preach to you. He will use these lips of clay, this tongue, this body. That's why it must be yielded to him. May your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. How long? Until the coming of the Lord. And what takes place then? The glorification of the body. So in the meantime, this temple, this tent, should be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord when we'll be glorified and we won't, have to, we won't have a struggle with our wills and our thoughts and our minds and the, the lust of the flesh and all that would pull us down. Faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. He does not do it with us sitting in a rocking chair saying, Lord, do it. Sanctify me, Lord. Sanctify me. He does it as we are sanctifying ourselves by these tools that he's given to us. If He's told us in everything to give thanks and to warn the unruly and all these things He tells us, that is part of our sanctification part process. Our part is all those verses we've just read. The Spirit will not do for us what He tells us to do. You're wasting your breath praying for the Lord to, for example, to esteem them very highly love for their work, saying to be at peace among yourselves. If you're not willing to be at peace, the Lord's not going to make you peaceable. You see, that's your part. And as you're exercising, I will be at peace with others. I'll take what measure it will be to be at peace with others. Then the Holy Spirit will take over and do that which you cannot do. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. And so we're fulfilling that command even to this very hour. It is a command that this epistle be read. We've read part of it tonight. I was in a, a preaching meeting on the... The authority of God's word the whole week was on the 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 validity the infallibility of the word of God and one evening one of the preachers took as his text psalm 119 he read psalm 119 at the beginning of his message the whole chapter and at first i thought he's not going to do that he's not going to read psalm 119 but he did, and I remember the comments. were well, where would you not? Where would you? Why would you not read a chapter where every verse is about the authority, the sufficiency, the purity, the the life of the very Word of God? And so, uh, I did not read the entire book of Thessalonians that we were required to read. But he says, "I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren." The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Pray without ceasing often people will read this command from paul and feel a sense of failure and that's not the goal of our study tonight it seems like a directive that is impossible to obey someone will say well how can you do that it's almost as nicodemus's response when the lord said you must be born again the immediate thought is how can that that be possible and so when you hear a command such as this, pray without ceasing, the first, as any desirous, a sincere Christian would be, well, how does I, do I flesh that out in my, my experience? Our lives are full, aren't they, and busy. Deadlines and responsibilities. My wife called me several times yesterday, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing an article. She'd call me much later. And she said, what are you doing? I said, I'm writing an article. And she said, that's got to be... longest article in the history of the signal or the most inspired or whatever but it was one of those things that i just and of course there are interruptions and and all the rest but just just to be busy at it and to find the mind of the lord and say the right thing and, and, and so forth but Our lives are, they're deadlines. I had people knocking at my door asking for that that article. That always adds to the pressure of it does, and I'm being facetious here. Nobody was beating at my door. I knew the expectations are this whole thing is waiting on your article being written to be in it. So all of that has a certain amount of self-pressure, not to mention I was a week late on top of everything. But these deadlines and and responsibilities until there, there probably in each of us is some guilt over uh, prayerlessness. And then we see a verse like this that says, quite emphatically, there's no, no way that you can misunderstand 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. The least in this room can tell us, pray without ceasing it means don't ever stop praying. Pray at all times, all the time. But what does that mean? Well, as Dr. John Phillips used to tell me when I'd ask him about a hard portion of Scripture, Son, it means what it says. So that's the, that's the exegesis of the verse there. Pray without ceasing means to pray without ceasing. We desire to pray. It's one of the birthmarks of the child of God. Now, that doesn't mean we all, that we always pray as we ought to, but there is like the very need to breathe. The child of God must pray. We desire to pray. But how can we, we possibly pray without stopping? Is that what this verse is, is, is teaching? The verse before it is also quite a tall order, isn't it? Always look at what precedes and follows a command of Scripture. And remember, Now, let's face it, pray without ceasing is not a suggestion, is it? It's not one of those things, it would be a good thing to do if you were to, to practice this. That's not the attitude of the Apostle Paul at all. This is a clear command. But I remind each of us wherever you find a command in the scripture, with the command always comes the divine enablement to fulfill the command. The Lord never tells his children to do something that they cannot do. So we must realize that immediately when you read something of such proportion as this verse, the idea will come how could you do that? Well, that seems very hard or unreasonable or. Whatever excuse Satan would whisper or our flesh would tell us is the reason why we couldn't obey it. Before it, he says, rejoice evermore. All the time we should be rejoicing. Verse 18 is especially impressive. In everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Spurgeon said, when joy and prayer are married, their firstborn child is gratitude. We cannot always be at a prayer meeting or in our closet or wherever it is that we pray, our our place that that we pray, the place of private prayer. But it must be possible to obey this verse or the apostle wouldn't have written it. There must be a way to fulfill it or the Lord would not tell us this should be how we should live our lives. Literally, and we're going to look at this in, in several different ways, to pray without ceasing means to live Moment by moment, in absolute communion with the Lord, because what is prayer but worshiping, praying, talking to Him, expressing our hearts' to desire? It's being in that constant communion with the Lord. It means to practice the presence of God. Lord, I know you're there. I know you, you hear me. In the praying without ceasing, it's calling to mind those verses, those commands, those promises, all uh, that is about prayer. This moment by moment. Fellowship is God's plan for us, to keep us in fellowship with him. Uh, one of his children, every one of his children is, should do it, and it's possible for all of us to pray without ceasing. First of all, I want us to notice that this is the method of God's plan for his church, his people. We're all individually his people and corporately with his people. And so this verse is given in the context of a local church setting. And it involves our relationships with one another, and how the gospel is carried out on our daily, day-to-day basis, how we live our lives. Because you see, in the context here, he gives some some specific directions about behavior in the church and our attitudes and our actions towards one another. And so we notice this is the the secret of Christ-like living. In verses fourteen and fifteen, we have a, a beautiful portrait of the church at life, the, the church at work, the church alive before us. If you're not careful, we'll, we'll think about the church at Thessalonica as being somewhere far off, 1,000 years, 2,000 years ago. They must have been a different kind of people. They wore robes, and, you know, all kinds of things that they're so far removed from us that we, we, they cannot be like the church in 2015. But when you begin reading about unruly and feeble-minded and be at peace among yourselves, it sounds very, very up-to-date, doesn't it? So we have a beautiful portrait painted for us of what church life should be like or how the Lord addresses our interactions with one another. This is what Jesus was like. And if we're to be like him, we're to to do what he says and to put it into practice. Notice we're to, first of all, in verse uh, uh, 14, and we've already alluded to the respect of the elders before the pastor and so forth, and that will not be my emphasis here but verse 14, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Now, the word unruly is a military term. It's those who are out of step. The rest of the, 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 the group is marching in this way, but the unruly is marching. You've heard the phrase, he's marching to a different drummer. He's doing his own thing. And the connotation here is of rebellion. It's someone who's out of step. And in every church, in every family, in every church family, there will be someone out of step. And the normal way of correcting that is that the preaching and the admonishing of the Word of God, the reading of God's Word, so often our behavior can be corrected just by reading a portion of Scripture. You see why it's so important to read large portions of Scripture in public. Give attendance till I come to the reading of Scripture in public. And we see so much here. You might not would have come across this portion of Scripture had we not read it tonight in your own personal life and so you could read 1st Thessalonians but this is the portion that the Lord has for us tonight and so we read the scripture and in that way God corrects behavior, attitudes and actions just by the public reading of his word and we're reminded, oh, this is God's word. This is how I'm to live. And then when the pastor expounds on different portions of Scripture, he uses that as well. But the unruly is someone, they're, they're just that. You think of a little boy in a class, don't you? Somehow that comes to mind to me in a classroom setting. But it could be a big boy, a, a father, an adult. It's not necessarily a child. This is someone who professes to know the Lord, but they're out of step. They're doing their own thing. They don't know the pastor's heart or the leadership's heart. Or if they do, they don't care about it. I'm going to do my thing, my own ministry, my own way. And uh, that's that attitude, and Paul said that cannot be. For the unity of the church, for the advancement of the gospel, we are on a team. We're co-laborers together. We're plowing together under the same... Remember last week we saw that admonition to to Eodius and Syntyche, those those ladies, yoke fellows, that, that picture of being in a yoke together. Now, oxen in a yoke must go the same direction that's what the yoke is for is to put them where in the same direction so that the job can be done warn the unruly the unruly were those who are out of step with the direction that everyone else is headed into galatians 6 verse 1 Ye that are spiritual restore the one overtaken in a fault in the spirit of meekness considering thyself and so that's what he. that's part of church life this is not to be done in an ugly spirit or haughty spirit or i know more than you do this is not in it at all but in every family i've been a father and i'm a grandfather there is unruly behavior that has to be corrected and someone needs to come along and and correct that when it when it is seen and so all of us are to be on guard and to be tender and, and and watchful in this area then he says Comfort the feeble minded. The feeble minded are worriers. They're people who they're they're literally the word in the the Greek means small souled. Uh, They're afraid to launch out in faith. Here's a ministry, here's a class, here's something that needs to be done. Oh I've never done that. I don't know if I could do it. Well I've got you know this is worried, 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 worried. And because of that they do very little in the cause of Christ. Well I couldn't knock on a door, I couldn't hit out a track, I couldn't stand in and help children in Sunday school, or them to get off the bus, or to sit with them while helping a class, and they worry, and they fret. And he said, what is is the cure for that? Comfort them. And really the word comfort is the word that is used of the Holy Spirit to come alongside. And it's a very tender picture of putting an arm around someone and encouraging them. Let's do this together. We can do this. Let me show you what I have learned. It's a very uh, sweet picture of comforting the worrier, the faint-hearted, the timid, those who are, or, or may have become weary in well-doing. They may used to do it, but they, they've had some hard times or misunderstandings or, or they may be in a situation like Eodius and Sintici, and they've just fallen out, lagged behind, and they need comforting. Those who are easily discouraged, they're always these kinds of people. Then he tells us in the, in the, in the church family, we're to support the weak, Now, the weak, for whatever reason, are those who have not advanced in faith. Their faith is not strong. They may be a new Christian, or they may be a Christian who has allowed the lies of Satan to enter in. They may be living in sin. Their testimony uh, has been uh, damaged, by, maybe not necessarily outwardly, but when sin is allowed in the life, it will always dim the shining of our light. It's like a, a lantern, the, the globe of a lantern that gets smoked up. If you've seen a kerosene lantern, sin always does that. There's light there, but it's not giving the, the effect that it should in the, in the room. And so to support the weak, those who have fragile faith, their faith needs to be increased. It needs to be strengthened. It needs to be broadened. And we're to stand by those uh, who uh, who's ne- they need the strength of, of Christian fellowship. Jesus told Peter, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And he says support the weak or, or to help the weak, and that means that word there means to firm firmly hold to, to hold up. There are times because of grief or bereavement or circumstances where someone's faith may grow weak. It's not as strong as it would be under normal circumstances if the sickness or the grief or the situation was not there. That's when we who are maybe stronger in the faith at that time come alongside, hold up, bolster up. Have you ever seen a a fruit tree or young sapling that someone has planted in their yard and they will either have a support around it or ties to it with stakes to keep it strong and supported and straight? Uh, Because if not, it'll get bent It's at a tender time. The wind may have blown it, or if you like me, the the lawnmower may have hit it, and and it's this, that. And somebody needs to come back along and and straighten it up, tie it up, put stakes down so that it will become strong. That's what we do in the efforts of the church by our personal ministry to one another and by the public ministry of the Word of God. Then he says in verse 14, uh, he just uh, puts everything in in the one category be patient toward all men and that's probably the hardest of all of these teachings here i can be patient toward some and i'm, I'm using this well i'm just all, I'm, I'm speaking for all of us i can i can deal with this this and this but there's always some behavior or some attitude we draw the line in the sense that i just cannot tolerate that but what does the scripture say here this is some. this is for all of us we're to be patient toward all men <clears throat> I look back over my uh, Christian life and I'm thankful for those who've been patient toward me at those phases of my Christian development uh, or lack of development uh, that when I've needed someone to come alongside, be patient toward all men. The first question comes, why? Because all men have shortcomings. All of us have, there will be times in our life, you may not be grieving today, but someone is. Your faith may not be weak because of those kinds of circumstances, the loss of a job or or, or a health situation, but you wait. Your day is coming. Everything won't be as it is with you right now. You may be on a mountaintop or you may have grown in grace and you may have gotten things in line and the Holy Spirit has taught you some things and uh, you're pretty self-satisfied, but just hold on because it won't always be this way. There will be a night of the soul that will come to your Christian experience No one is exempt from these things. And that's why he says, be patient toward all men. For one thing, you're going to need it as well one day. That's why you should be patient toward others. All of us have shortcomings. All of us need patience and need to be treated patiently. That does not mean we don't deal with the sin or correct the attitude or the behavior, but we do it in love and in patience. That patience means uh, gentleness and long-suffering towards people. And it's the, one of the hardest things to do, isn't it? Our Lord showed patience toward his disciples. That, if anything, is a picture. Those 12 men, can you imagine what the Lord He took them raw, right out of the fishing boat with their fishing nets, or Matthew at the receipt of custom? For one thing, they were on different levels of society, weren't they? And hard working fishermen, I would think that Matthew might have been a little different than Peter, or a lot different than Peter. You put all those together, a disciple in that day literally went and followed the teacher, lived with him, ate with him, slept with him. That's why, you know, they, that's the way it was done. And he had these guys, and just when you think they should have gotten it, they'd seen his miracles, they'd watched him handle this demon possessed person. And he would tell them how to do the ministry, pattern it for them, give them the equipment, tell them they could go out as he sent out the 70 uh, on that, that missions trip, and then they see the, the failure. the vast, I think about the one who asked for their help in the demon-possessed, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus reminded them what? This kind cometh not out but by prayer and fasting. Don't you know how exasperating that was? Have I been so long time with you, he asked on occasion and so we look at our own selves has he not been so long with us and patiently brought us to this very hour where are we individually and spiritually are we where we should be are we where we ought to be we see there in verse 15 see that none render evil for evil unto any man all right if you're going to treat me that way i'll treat you this way you're not going to be nice to me i won't be nice to you i'll pout i'll withhold affection I won't sit on your side of the church building. I won't, you know, that evil for evil. I won't burn down your house, but I, but I won't help put water on it either. You know, that kind of mentality. See that none render evil for evil unto who? Any man. We should do good to all men, but especially to those of the household of faith. We don't retaliate a pay back in kind. Keep score. Why? Because. But the Bible commands us not to, but in a larger sense, the Lord says, vengeance is mine, saith the way. Lord, I know how to deal with people. I know how to take care of your affairs. In that department, you're to absolutely give that over to the Lord. He can take care of all that. And then he tells us, ever always follow that which is good. Follow, pursue good things. Now, that takes a certain tenacity, doesn't it? Because there's so many bad things easily at our disposal. We have to find that which is good. We have to seek for it. The Bible tells us what to think on, what to allow to occupy our hearts and our minds and our imagination. Think on these things. Pursue it. Look for it. Don't waste your time on anything that doesn't fall into that category. I'm amazed at the trivial And even more, the ungodly things that God's people will allow to influence them. It's unspeakable. When He tells us so clearly, think on these things. What things? Things that are true and just and of good report and honest and pure. If that is the standard given to us by the Lord, how could we allow anything less than that, preoccupy our hearts and our minds and our our pastimes? I think... When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and I'm speaking to believers here, that one of the things that we're going to have to answer to foremost and be most embarrassed by is what we wasted, the triviality of life that we allow to crowd into our lives, especially in this age where there's so much available to us that is so useless and so does not promote the the sanctification of the soul. Our Lord is always as our example. Do you see Jesus Christ wasting time? You don't see him wasting anything. You don't see him doing anything trivial. And what I mean by trivial, not little things. We're not speaking about just important things as we might say preaching or something like that, but what I mean by trivial is useless, vain, things that will not matter we all have to brush our teeth and you might consider that trivial or fold your clothes or make your bed We're, those things are responsibilities and they're not trivial if they're part of the order of your life but what i mean by trivial is those things that do not add are part of your responsibilities of living a responsible life and a clean life and an orderly life and with your work that you must carry out but also of the soul what have you and i done today that has grown our souls the inner man that has that has given muscles to the inner man that has given uh, fed the inner man to be the, the the man that god wants him to be oh i fed my outer man i've made sure that i met the the, the hunger pains and and even not the hunger pains but what about the inner man did I lavish on the inner man to the degree that I sought after the outer man today? Barnabas is described in Acts chapter 11 verse 24 as he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost, controlled by the Holy Spirit. That means he was controlled by the Word of God. And of faith, controlled by faith, and much people is added to the Lord. Now, think about that. The the, the recipe the components of barnabas's life he was a good man controlled by the holy spirit controlled by faith and because of that many people came to know the lord do you see the result of this kind of living it will always influence those outside of christ and our witness for him in acts 10 38 how god appointed jesus of nazareth with the holy ghost and with power who went about doing good that's The record given of our Lord's life summed up there in Acts, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. This kind of living always shows results in our relationships with other people, always shows results in our spiritual interactions with others. Now, these are the injunctions. This is the teaching of church life, of the body life of the church that precedes our text in verse 17 to pray without ceasing telling us how we're to go about living the christian life and ministering to one another in a local body of believers and that's why it's so important and yea, the, the 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 will of god for every believer to be in close associations in the family that we saying, the family of god we're in the family of god by being born again we're in particular families of god where god has placed us in local assembly in our church here and this is how could you live the christian life apart from it these, these things that are given to us for our sanctification and growth, isn't it interesting how so many of them are key to how we act to one another? You cannot disregard eodius or Syntyche. They're part of the church, and they're at odds. And we're all to, to, to come alongside one another and to help one another. And so you cannot ignore and be healthy. You cannot ignore and just disregard and be spiritual or to be growing in grace. Or for the, the testimony of the church to be what it should be. And so here is the, the secret here. Rejoice evermore. God wants this, His children to radiate His joy at all times. Now, and here is the secret of thanksgiving. At all times and in all circumstances. That, ver- that word there in verse 18. In everything, give thanks. This is only possible when we have a continual attitude of prayer. My bringing my request before the Lord always reminds me of what God has already answered. and I have to thank him for, Lord, thank you for what you've done. And it gives us, it creates that that attitude of gratitude. Count your blessings. Have you done that recently? Naming them, giving them names. They do have names, don't they? Counting your blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Here's the the secret of a Spirit-controlled life. We've commented there on verse 19 of quench not the Holy Spirit. In other words, don't quench the Holy Spirit. That's a clear command. The Holy Spirit desires to control us. One of His chief offices as the resident of these bodies is to control us. Now, we can let fear control us or lust control us, or any number of things control us, but what is to control us is the Holy Spirit of God. He abides within us to minister to us and through us. I never witness to someone that I do not feel my total inadequacy. The words I say always seem well. That doesn't make sense, you know. I don't know if part of that is my condemning conscience or the devil whispering in my ear, but I always feel such an inadequacy. But at the same time, I realize this is the Lord. This is the Lord's word. And the Holy Spirit uses our witness and He enlivens it. And He will bless the word that we're witnessing. He guides us. He reveals God's will to us as He did in the early early church. This kind of church, living out these injunctions, will have the Holy Spirit say, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the ministry I've called them to. A church will not have missionaries sent out if they're not a praying church. The church at Antioch was praying as the Holy Spirit. They were praying and ministering and then the Holy Spirit, okay, say, I want this one and I want this one for you to send out. You see, all of this, living out these injunctions causes the Holy Spirit to do His work in our midst of calling and uh, the gospel call and the call to specific areas of service. He helps us in our praying. We're about to go into prayer in just a moment. We know that we ask the Holy Spirit to help correct our praying if we're praying amiss and to guide us in our praying. John sixteen fourteen tells us He makes the Lord Jesus real to us. He constrains us or restrains us. He constrains us, in other words, prompting us to do what is right. He restrains us, holding us back from doing what's wrong. He helps us to witness to the saving power of our Lord. We can only live such a life as we know by this as we pray without ceasing he helps us distinguish between truth and ever and error prove all things test it that word prove there really has the the assayers the who would put the gold or the silver in the little pot and heat it very hot to burn out the impurities prove it see if that's pure gold see what proof uh, of silver uh, that is God gives us spiritual discernment, enables us as we pray without ceasing to walk in ways that are pleasing to Him and to walk in truth. Praying without ceasing helps us to obey verse twenty-two. Something we ought to all be concerned about: abstain from the very all appearance of evil. That's a good, safe guideline for us to live by, isn't it? Stay away from if it doesn't smell right, look right. I guarantee you, if you go into your refrigerator and you pull out something, and it doesn't smell right, you don't just say, I think I'll just sit down and eat this. I know it doesn't smell right, but, I mean, if it doesn't look right, smell right, if it doesn't appear right, if it's got a strange color, if it looks slick or greasy or green or something, you're going to say, I'm going to stay away from this. Someone may say, oh, it's okay, go ahead and eat it. No, I think I'll take the safe route, and and you sniff it and smell it and look at it and look at the date, and if it doesn't have a date, if it's in one of those, you know, Millions of little Tupperware, little plastic things. Once you discern, is this pudding or is this what is that? This or is it gravy? Or what is what is this? My mother used to say, "Smell it and see." That's the last thing I wanted to do is smell it, you know, because that if it wasn't good, that just that wasn't gonna be pleasant, was it? But that's what the the, the picture is proof. How do we prove things? One thing we stay away from it if it doesn't look right. God gives us eyes and ears and feelings, and knowledge, and experience. And we use all those things when we don't know, abstain from the very appearance of evil. In light of all this, what does it actually mean to pray without ceasing? Since we cannot always be on our knees, there are not always words coming out of our lips, our audible expressions of prayer, verbally saying prayers, are always in a, literally in a prayer meeting. So, what could it mean? It is a command. It's given to everyone in the life of the church pray without ceasing. Here, our Lord tells us we can always be in the spirit or attitude of prayer. We can come at any second to the mercy seat. Our Lord is always accessible. He's never off. He's never off duty. He's never on a coffee break. He's never not there. We live in a day where everything is so accessible, but when you call, there's nearly nobody there to answer, is there? You know, if you've seen that commercial, if you call this number, you shouldn't have called this number, hang up, you shouldn't be, you know, they give you all the th- things that you should be doing. You feel like I shouldn't even call. Why did I call to start with? You go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. All the technology, but no one there. We, the technology has really just insulated us, it seems, from really having to interact with anybody face-to-face, or voice-to-voice. But the Lord is always there. He's never not available. The only thing that will hinder Him hearing us is our unconfessed sin. And we can quickly remedy that, can't we? We can just right off the bat deal with that and repent and forsake it. What a privileged invitation encouragement we have to pray. I have a permit. I have a... I have permission to come. Uh, we have a pass. We have a, a, a letter of credit, if you will, written by the blood of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're on the list. We can come. Anytime, all the time. He wants us to come. Have you ever been somewhere where you really didn't feel like you were wanted? That's the worst of the world. One time someone's children told us their parents wanted us to come to their house to see us and uh we we went my wife and i but it didn't take us long to figure out this was a setup and uh, the parents weren't expecting us at all and not only were they not expecting us they didn't want us there now that's one of the worst feelings in the world to be at some place you thought you were supposed to be there but you didn't quite understand it and you weren't you're not you're not only not wanted you 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 got the message that's not what this is about our lord wants us to come yearning and inviting us to come into fellowship with him we should never stop praying why is it that we get so lethargic and careless about this greatest privilege of the Christian life. It's the way all things are done in God's work. It is the means by which the blessings of God are accessed. Everything He promises to His children come through this vehicle. We are to persevere in the Christian life. Really, that means to keep on keeping on. Don't stop. Just keep on. How do we do that? Prayer is one of the means of persevering. uh, That... In the the Christian life, as believers, we're to repent and to pray as long as we live. We're to keep praying until that last moment of our lives, even as we're leaving this life. I was at the bedside of my father-in-law when the Lord called him home. And one of the last things he did, he prayed over every one of us. He put his hands on us and prayed over us. Called for all of his grandchildren and prayed over them right before he slipped into eternity. When you look at it in that framework, it is the greatest, most important thing that we do. And by the way, those prayers are continually being answered. I see them answered day by day, even these 20 years later. Sometimes it seems that the heavens are brass. I know that. And your prayers hit the ceiling and and bounce right back. But prayer is always heard. It's never not heard. God's silence doesn't mean he hasn't heard or that he isn't working. And when you feel cold and indifferent, what should you do? You go before the Lord and say, Lord, I feel cold and indifferent. And my flesh really doesn't want to be here. But I need to be here. I don't want to pray, but I so desperately need to pray. They're those depending on my prayers. I have people who look to me as pastor, as father, as, as brother, as your, their mother, their sister, those that you're spiritually responsible for, your class, your bus, your loved ones. What do you mean you don't feel like praying? You must pray. Souls are at stake. They're slipping into eternity even as we've been here at this prayer meeting. Don't pray only when you have some warm spiritual emotion to pray. You'll do very little of it then. If that's when what, what you're waiting for, then you, you won't pray without ceasing. Keep on praying your requests. Spread them out before the throne of grace. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you your sin and your lethargy and your pride and all those things that, that need to be worked on continually. How many times, like Peter sinking beneath the wave, our prayer is nothing more than, Lord, save me. Lord, help me. Oh, Lord, I need you right now. I know not by what method's rare, but this I know God answers prayer. I know that he has given his word, which tells me prayer is always heard and will be answered soon or late. And so I pray calmly wait i know not if the blessing sought will come in just the way i thought but leave my prayers with him alone whose will is wiser than my own assured that he will grant my quest or send some answer far more blessed with that injunction in mind to pray without ceasing